Blog Talk Radio. Well, bless the Lord, everybody. This is Pastor Winfred Burns with Word Worship and Witness Ministries uh, with the Word on Wednesday. I pray tonight that all is well in your lives and that you are blessed, that you understand that you are highly favored, but more than anything else, that you are under the shadow of the cross. And because of the cross of Jesus Christ, we have life and life more abundantly. That we have been made sons and daughters of God. That on that cross, Jesus effectively defeated Satan and he offered himself up as a sacrifice for our sins. We have so much to be thankful for. And tonight, we just want to spend a little time in prayer thanking God. And then we want to um, invite anybody who does not know that they have been saved, that they've been, that, that, excuse me, that their sins are forgiven to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. So let's pray. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name we come tonight. And we don't come into this session lightly, nor do we come just thinking we know you and we know your word. No, Father, we come asking you to reveal yourself unto us. We come asking that you would reveal your word unto us. We ask that by your spirit, O oh God, that you would take us into your word and not only help us to understand your word, but also, Father, help us to, 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 to have it in our heart and to not just know you and know your word, but be instruments of your word. God, how we bless you and how we praise you. God, we don't want to get it in us and leave it in us, but we want you to put it in us and then let it work itself out of us, that your kingdom might be advanced in this land. We bless you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to say to anybody out there tonight who does not know this, that your sins have been forgiven. And I know you think that, um, I know you think that, that what you've done is very, very bad or that what you've done is something that is unpardonable or that God doesn't love you. Nothing can be farther from the truth. Your sins have been forgiven. And we bless God for the fact that he, uh, allowed, he allowed his son Jesus to die on Calvary's cross just for, for us. Not just for you because he died for me too. And what I ask you to do tonight is if you believe that Jesus died for your sins, that you would ask him, that you would acknowledge that he died for your sins simply by saying to the Lord, Lord, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I ask him to be my savior, to come into my heart. And then if you do that, then what I want you to do as quickly as possible I want you to find some Christian. I'd like you to find some church, some pastor, somebody that can help you understand 
what this means by you confessing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The one thing I'll tell you very quickly that it means is that your sins have been forgiven, that you are now a son or daughter of God, and that you're part of a great, great big family that goes back for literally hundreds of generations. So we bless you and we welcome you to the family if you prayed that prayer. Now, let's get to work. And the thing that we want to do tonight is we want to take a good, hard look at the things that we've studied the last couple of weeks, uh, specifically last week and this week. Because what I've been trying to unpack in this early part of Second uh, Samuel is that there is a war going on, and on the surface it just looks like a war between David and Saul's son Ishbosheth. That's what it looked like on the surface. But last week what we tried to show you is the difference between an anointed king, David, and the appointed king, Ishbosheth. Now Ishbosheth is the king that has been set on the throne of Israel by Abner. And so what we began to show you is that there was a war within the war. And the war within the war was the war carried about by the anointed king versus the war against the appointed king. And what we'll show you tonight is that the, as the battle has continued, we can see that there's more prisoners, there's more casualties of war than we can imagine. And then what we'll do as we go through is we'll show you what this means for you today as you make the decision whether you will take David or Ishbosheth whether you'll take the king that has been anointed by God or the king that's been appointed by man. So what I want to do now is I want to pick up where we left off last week. And remember that when we left off, we, we were at a funeral. We were at the end of a funeral that David is now, he's buried Abner because Joab came in and Joab killed Abner. He killed him for a couple of reasons that as we as we as we tried to show you last week. Number one, one reason that he killed him is because Joab killed Ashiel. Uh, I mean Abner killed Ashiel, Joab's brother. Secondly, he killed him because they would be if if Abner is uh, is left to live he and Joab would have been at each other's throat for the position of well, well, um, the general of uh, David's army. And because both of them had been general, generals before. So he eliminates a rival. And David washes his hand of the whole affair because David knows that he is the appointed king and being, uh, excuse me, the anointed king. And the anointed king is not going to ascend to the throne based upon 
what a man does, but David in his entire life has been depended upon and surrendered himself to the hand of God. David could have fought a long time ago. David could have went up against Saul a long time ago. But he chose not to because he recognized that Saul was God's anointed. Remember we went through it back in 1 Samuel, how he kept saying, I can't put my hand against the anointed of God. I can't put my hand against the anointed of God. And so now we're going to pick up after the funeral in chapter 4. And what I'm doing tonight is something that I haven't done before. I'm, for purposes of my argument, my argument tonight and the teaching will be stronger if I use my King James Bible, because my King James Bible has some phrasing in it that will help me get the point across better. So it's not I'm not regressing and or anything like that. I like the NIV. I like I love the ESV. But tonight I need to get with the King to get the phrases that I want so I can teach this lesson. So with that said, let's take a look at Second uh, Samuel chapter four, and we'll begin reading there. And when Saul's son heard that Abner was dead in Hebron, his hands were feeble, and all the Israelites were troubled. Now, let's stop right there. So, remember we said that Ishbosheth has been placed on the throne by Abner, and Abner was the real power behind the throne. Now, Abner's dead, so there's nobody to prop Ishbosheth up. But look at the phrase that says, and all the Israelites were troubled. Let me read that to you again in the um, NIVs, because it, 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 it actually says something here that will help you catch it a little bit better. Verse 1, when Ishbosheth, son of Saul, heard that Abner had died in Hebron, he lost courage, and all Israel became alarmed. The word that I'm looking for is alarmed. What was, what, why did they become alarmed? Why, did, why, did, why were they troubled? Well, they were troubled because they knew that they were defenseless against the enemy, that Ishbosheth didn't have the military skill nor did he have the following and the ability to command an army to go up against the Philistines. Now, wait one second before you get any further. Now, during the two-year time period that David and Ishbosheth, the house of David and the house of Ishbosheth, are struggling and contending for the throne, the Philistines have not been uh, 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 just sitting idle. No. Remember the last time we saw the Philistines? The last time we saw the Philistines, what were they doing? They had just killed Saul in that big battle. Jonathan and Saul went down. And the, what did the Bible tell us? That the Philistines had overran the land. So now the land is under enemy control. Israel is surrounded by enemies. And they have no king capable of leading them out into battle to defend themselves. 
So when Abner leaves, which was Israel's hope, because it sure wasn't Ishbosheth, then all of a sudden, now we naked, we wide open. They can not only defeat us, they can wipe us out. So they are completely troubled. Verse 2, and Saul's son had two men. Now, when we talk about Saul's son, we're talking about Ishbosheth again. And Saul's son had two men that were captains of the bands. The name of the one was Banna, and the name of the other, Rechab, the sons of Rimon, a Berethite of the children of Benjamin. For Berethite also was reckoned to Benjamin. And the Berethites fled to Gittim and were sojourners there until this day. Now, he's, now what this narrator is doing right now for us is he's more or less summing some things up. He's setting us up for some action that's going to take place later. But curiously, look at this verse 4. It just seems like this comes out of nowhere. It says, And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame of his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled, and it came to pass as she made haste to flee, that he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. Now stop. Why in the middle of telling this story would this narrator choose to drop this verse 4 in? Well, what he's doing is he's basically showing the state of Saul's family and the fulfillment of God's promise that that there would not be someone from Saul's family able to take the throne. Now, Ishbosheth, we've we've shown he don't have a spine, and Mephibosheth will be disqualified simply because he is deformed. He has a deformity. He's unable to lead. So the kingdom is about to pass because there's no one from Saul's family who is able to qualify to continue his dynasty. And so this writer lets us know from the beginning, no, David was not a usurper of the throne. He was the closest kin available to take the throne. Because now remember in the last chapter that, that, we, that we visited in, that he has now claimed his right to his wife, so he is Saul's son-in-law, able to now ascend to the throne without conversation coming from Saul's family because there's no male left. Now, go further. Verse 5, And the sons of Rimon, the Berephite, Rechab, and Banna went, and came about the heat of the day to the house of Ishbosheth, who lay on a bed at noon. And they came thither into the midst of the house as though they would have fetched wheat. And they smote him under the fifth rib, and Rechab and Banna his brother escaped. For when they came into the house, he lay on his bed in his bedchamber, and they smote him and slew him and beheaded him and took his head and got them away through the plain 
all night. I want to stop there. Let's take a look at this dead king now versus this live king. What's the difference between um, uh, uh, Ishbosheth and David? David, as we have established, is the anointed king. Now, what do I mean by that? He's the anointed king. We need to take a look. Go back to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Take your time. It's going to take me a second to get back there. Because, you know, I don't, have, I don't like that little fancy thing y'all use where you're flicking your fingers all over the place on, that, on y'all little technological apparatuses. I'm still old school, and I like to just turn some pages. 2 Samuel 16, verse 12. Look at this. Let me, read, let me start at verse 11. How's that? Let me start at verse 11. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Here he is. Remember we went through this? David has the anointing. But more than the anointing, he also has the Spirit of God, which will now enable him to accomplish God's purpose. What does Ishbosheth have? Ishbosheth had Abner. That's it. I want you to see some similarities between. What's happened, what happens with David and what happens with another king. Turn, if you will, first of all, I'm, I'll, I'll tip my hand a little bit. Go to Psalms chapter 2, or Psalms 2, rather. Take your time. I'm not... Look at verse 7. No, look at verse 6. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Why are you reading that? Well, because remember I have taught you that the word is dimensional, that oftentimes what we see in the Old Testament is just a foreshadowing of something that will happen in the New Testament, that what is being worked out here on earth has already been worked out in heavenly, in heavenly places. And so what we see in the New Testament is the manifestation of the king prophesied in uh, Psalms 2-7, but also what the Lord is allowing to, us to see, or as they call it, foreshadowing, in David. So you see what happens in history uh, in terms of 
when David begins to march toward the throne and the problems that he has, and you see what's going to happen in the future as the true king, the king of kings, marches toward the throne. Let's go further. Go over to Matthew 3. Show you what I'm talking about. Remember, David was anointed by Samuel to be the king. Go to Matthew chapter 3. I would do like we do in church and say, when you say, when you have it, say, I got it. If you need more time, more time. Matthew, Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, watch this now, and Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So literally when Jesus, who does things decent and in order, is baptized by John, when he comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. Do you recognize that? He, it descends upon him like a dove. He is anointed to be the Messiah. He is anointed to be the king. You see what I'm saying? You see where you see where we're going now? Look, I want to I want to give you just a little bit more. Go flip over to Luke chapter three. Now, this gets real good right here. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. And the whole, oh, excuse me now. Now, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am pleased. So what Luke fills out for us is while Jesus is being baptized, he's also in prayer. He's also in communication with the Father. So why did you bother to show that? Because one of the things that we see David doing and we see Jesus doing but is lacking in Ishbosheth is this, that David is constantly seeking out God. Shall I go up? Which way do I go? He is constantly in prayer. He is constantly in worship. And here is Jesus foreshadowed by David. And what is he doing? The same thing constantly in connection with his father. The difference between Ishbosheth, 
Saul and David is Ishbosheth and Saul were after the flesh. They were self-centered. The only thing they cared about is what they want. Wanted, excuse me. Whereas David was concerned about the things of God. Go back to First Samuel. And what did God say? He says, I'm going because I found some, a man who is after my own heart. I found someone who is so tied to my will that literally he's after everything that I want. Look at Jesus. What does Jesus tell us later on? He says, my father is working and I'm working. I can do nothing except the things that my father tells me to do, shows me to do. Do you see the connection between the kings? Now, let's go further. When we look at these passages and we see the anointed king and his behavior and how he's connected to the father, when we see Jesus and how he could, he's anointed and connected to the father, we need to contrast them against the fleshly king, because here's where you come in tonight. You've got to make a decision as to which king you plan to follow. Who will you put on the throne? Will you allow the anointed king to sit on the throne of your life, or will you allow the appointed king, the one that man appoints, Specifically, and I'm not going to beat around the bush with you tonight, specifically, will you sit on the throne of your life or will Jesus sit on the throne? Will you make him king or do you think that you can be king? There's a war. There's a war. Remember Paul in, uh, in, in Romans chapter 7 where he talks about the good that I would? He says there's some things that, that, that there's a law that is at war within me, the law of sin and death. If you choose to elect yourself to sit on the throne of your life, I'll tell you what you're going to get. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. Because this is, what, this is exactly what they're seeing in the time of David and Mephibosheth. Go to Galatians 5. Oh, by the way, you do know that you can call in. I keep forgetting to do that, y'all. I, I, I mean to do it every week to remind you to call in if you want to, but y'all just sit on y'all the questions and stuff. Uh, you can call in at 929-477-2304, 929-477-2304, or if you're out watching on Periscope, you can type that question at the bottom, and hopefully I see it, and I can answer it then. But call in at 929-477-2304. Um, we're going to be at Galatians 5. I'm going to start at 17. Oh, let's do 16. 16 is fine. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
Go that and drop down. Oh, yeah, yeah let's, let's go to 17. For the flesh lusted against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that you would. Now, so what, what's, what's happening here? What happened back then? What you were seeing in the natural was a fight between Ishbosheth and David. But what was happening in the spirit realm was a fight between the flesh and the spirit. Ephesians 6, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. What's happening right now, even as we sit here tonight, is that we're in the middle of a war, and the war is about you. The war is to destroy your faith in God. The war is to turn you into you. If you're saved, it's to kick Jesus off the throne and put the flesh back on the throne. If you've never been saved, is to keep flesh in its place. Let me define flesh for you. Flesh is basically the will of man. We ain't talking about, you know, this this old pretty face right here, the skin on this pretty face. No, what we're talking about is um, the spirit of man, the will of man within you. And what we were seeing is a nation that was struggling that way. And now you just said, well, we in the, our nation is struggling that way. Yep, sure is. But this is not about the nation. This is about you. This is a decision that you have to make whether you will choose the flesh or whether you will abide in Christ and let his spirit abide in you. Look at, look, now, let me help you make your choice easier. Look at this, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, hearsays, envyings, murder, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in the past, that past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. <coughs> Excuse me. You want that? That's what you get when you elect uh, Ishbosheth. That's what you get when you allow your flesh to sit on the throne of your life. All that mess that I don't even want to read again because it's just too nasty. And in the end, knowing that I don't inherit the kingdom of God. Now, you think, well, wait a minute, hold on. The kingdom of God, I don't inherit the kingdom of God. I don't get the opportunity, first of all, to experience the power of God in my life. I don't get the benefit of the protection of God in my life. I don't get the provision of God in my life. 
Forget about the future kingdom where, where we go to heaven and all that stuff. Look, I am godless now. Why? Because I chose to allow my flesh to rule. I chose the will of man over the will of God. What's happening? Go back. Let's, let's, let's run back to, after that. We want to run back and, and look and see what's happening in Second Samuel because we don't want to confront ourselves because in the right now with what, what we're facing. So let's just look back in history and see what they faced. What was the condition of the kingdom during the time? They were they, they were under enemy control, and you know what the devil got for you, right? The thief cometh not but to do what? To steal, to kill, and destroy. Back up two books. Get into Judges. And what happens in Judges? Every time you look up, because they were doing it their way, what do you see? You see bondage. Humiliation, they were getting their crops stolen, everything that they had. They were under a curse constantly. And even though God uh, uh, comes with grace to them and deliverance to them, no sooner will God deliver them, they forget about God and say, okay, God, we got this. And they start doing it their way again, and here comes another enemy into their life. Look at Gideon. Where was Gideon when God searched him out and called him? He was hiding in a cave trying to get him, his family something to eat. Why was he hiding in the cave? Because the Midianites were dogging him out. Look at, our, look at when we try to run things, the mess that we make. Look at what, what was happening there. What, what, what did we just see in this, these last couple of chapters? We saw family feuds because the Israelites were fighting uh, Judah. We saw murder. We saw envy. Look at Abner and look at Joab. They couldn't come together. All of the stuff that we just read about that was happening in, um, in that, that, that Paul tells us will happen the works of the flesh were being manifested right during this time period. And my argument with you tonight is, so why in the world would you want something like that running you? Why do you think you are capable of running you? Oh, no. Uh-uh. I want that. I want Jesus, who is the anointed king. Let's keep going because I'm, I'm going to finish this chapter tonight, and I've got some more questions to ask you. I'm at, I'm, I'm still in chapter 4. I'm at verse 6. Ishbosheth has just been murdered. Oh, let's go down to 7. No, 8. That's where I want to be at, verse 8. That's where I'd like to be at. Now, Ishbosheth has been murdered by Rechab and Dana. And they, verse 8, and they brought the head of Ishbosheth unto David to Hebron. Remember one of the works of the flesh? Murder. And said to the king, Behold the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, thine enemy, which sought thy life 
And the Lord hath avenged my Lord the king this day of Saul and of his seed. Now, they march all night, and they go in such a way where they avoid any of of, of the people who were, sti- were still um, loyal to Ishbosheth. Now, these two guys, they were captains in Ishbosheth's army under Abner, and their job was to lead raids. And the reason why they were raiding was to get wealth into the kingdom. And they were raiding other small tribes. These guys figured, okay, well, you know what Abner did? We might as well get our in with David. So they killed Ishbosheth to try to get position. They're trying to get position within the kingdom that will be led by David. And so they kill Ishbosheth, they cut his head off, they take him to David, thinking David's going to give them a reward. And let's see what happens. And David answered Rachab, I'm at verse 9, and David answered Rachab and Banah his brother, the sons of Rimmon, the Berothite, and said unto them, As the Lord liveth, who hath redeemed my soul out of all adversity. When one told me, saying, Behold, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good tidings, I took hold of him and slew him in Ziklag, who thought that I would have given him a reward for his tidings. How much more when wicked men have slain a righteous person in his own house upon his bed, shall I not therefore now require his blood of your hand and take you away from the earth? And David commanded his young men, and they slew them and cut off their hands and their feet and hang them up over the pool in Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the sepulcher of Abner in Hebron. Now, so David does what a king should do. Now, when we see David responding like this, like he did with the Amalekite, he responded to the Amalekite according to the law. And he now responds to Banner and Rechab according to the law. What do you mean by that? Well, let's turn over first to uh, Genesis chapter 9. Because basically, he has said, you, you murdered them. So turn to Genesis chapter 9, and let's see what, what's going on here. You see, in, most of the time, most of the time, when David makes a decision, it is according to the word of the Lord. So again, parallel that with Jesus. When Jesus does something, why does he do it? It's because he is following the word of his father. Jesus, uh, Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. In the right place? Hang on. No, I wrote that down wrong. Glasses, because I know what I'm looking for. 
and I'm not seeing it. I'm looking at it now, but it's it's different than King my King James. Oh nine. Oh that's that's just I know why it's different than King James because I'm looking at the wrong spot. Whoso whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. Now, look again at Leviticus twenty four seventeen. Maybe I can get to that one quicker than I did the last one, huh? Leviticus chapter 24, verse 17. And he that killeth any man shall surely be put to death. Go a little further, Exodus twenty thirteen. I want to show you that what David is doing, David is right. He's following the word of the Lord. Because I know sometimes when we when we read our Bible, especially in the Old Testament, and we see all the killing and stuff, we're like, uh-uh, something wrong, something wrong. They are doing what God told them to do. 20 and 13. Oh, that should have been easy. 20 and 13 is just one of the commandments. Thou shall not kill. And then go to 21 and 12. He that smiteth a man so that he die shall surely be put to death. And then I want to take you over and I want to set this last piece up with Deuteronomy chapter 21. It's important that as we teach and preach and read our Bibles that we understand what undergirds the moves that God is telling us to make and the moves that are executed in the name of the Lord. So, chapter 21, verses, chapter 21, verse 22. Where am I? 20, and if a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he be to be put to death, and thou hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he that is hanged is accursed of God, that thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. So now, what does David do? Go back to Second um, Samuel in the fourth chapter. I want to show you what's happening here. When David is concerned about everything that he does, especially into in through now, because if he doesn't handle uh, uh, these two boys in the right way, Benjamin, the tribe that they're from, is is an integral part of Israel 
coming over to him. Abner had already brokered the truce that would allow David to ascend to the throne. He's weathered one storm when Joab killed Abner by making sure that everyone understood that he had no part in it. And now here come these two boys with another brother from Benjamin because Ishbosheth is Saul's son. Saul is a Benjamite. Ishbosheth is a Benjamite. And here these two boys come in carrying his head. So what David is going to do to show the nation of Israel that he had absolutely nothing to do with this, he is not in killing them and hanging them on the tree like he did. What he is showing is that these boys are under a divine curse according to the law because they are murderers. That's what all that reading was about to show that David is operating under the law. Now, let's go a little bit further. I want to show us that we are in a similar position. Go to Galatians 3, because though we are still in our bodies, when we walk in sin, when we choose the flesh, we are operating under a curse. We are subject to being in under a divine curse. The wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. We deserve death. Go to Galatians chapter 3. Let's see if we can finish this off here within the next 10 minutes. Galatians 3. Because literally, we are sitting in the same position as the Israelites, because they're going to make a decision next week. We're going to make the decision before they make a decision. They're going to make a decision next week when we get to um, uh, the fifth chapter. Pages are tight. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. For as many as are under the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all the things which are written in the book of the law, to do them. So, prior to Jesus Christ coming, the whole world was under the law and obligated to keep not just part of the law, but the whole law. Now, what law am I talking about? The law that was given at Sinai. Remember we went through that? Where 
at Sinai, you know, when Moses was there and, and they had the black cloud and the thunder and lightnings coming off of Sinai and God hands down the commandments and then he says to them, and the people say, look, all that you say we will do. And that covenant was ratified in blood. Remember, Moses took not the priest, it was Moses. Moses took the blood and he sprinkled it on the people, signifying that this is a covenant that we keep with God. And so let me read it again. For as many as are under the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. If you don't do them all, all the time, you're under the curse. But now, let's, let, look, this is, why, this is why I love Jesus so much. Look at verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. <laughs> so at Calvary, what Christ is doing, what Jesus does, is he hangs on the tree and becomes a curse for us, and he takes the penalty for us at Calvary. Understand that? And that's why, what, who should you choose as a king? Now, remember, now, they were in darkness. They were in bondage. Look at, flip over to Colossians real quick. What else does he do besides becoming a curse for us? Because remember now, the people are scared. They are scared because they're surrounded by the Philistines. They are scared because they have a fleshly king sitting on the throne who will not provide deliverance for them. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Paul writes it like this. Ooh, these pages are tight. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 13. Oh, let's, let's go to 12. I, I, want, I like to set that verse up better. Verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. So we have Jesus who steps forward and becomes a curse for us. We who are cursed no longer are under the curse. Secondly, we have Jesus who goes before us, fights the battle for us. He who is light shines upon us and delivers us from the power of darkness. He breaks Satan's hold. You'll see next week how, how David goes about to fight against the enemy. 
And that's what Jesus does for us. And so the question that I ask you right now is, who is your king? Who will you choose? Who will you sit on the throne of your life? They have a choice. They have David and Ishbosheth. We have a choice. We have the King of Kings who has been delivered up for us, who is anointed by God, filled with power to have the ability to go forward and do in us, for us, that which God anointed him to do, or we got you. You got yourself. Now, you could either claim Jesus as your king or keep sitting on the throne yourself. And we've already shown you what the works of the flesh are. We've already showed you what happens when you allow yourself to rule. And the works of the flesh are these. Filth, foul, filthy, filthy, fouler, fouler. Nothing good. I want to just look at one more passage very, very quickly. And I want to show you what happens from day to day when you choose your flesh over against Jesus. Because there's some of us Christians who, moment to moment, one minute Jesus is running, and then the next minute, ah, we got this now, we got this now, so we want to, you know, rather than submit our lives as a, to him, rather than to present ourselves as a living sacrifice unto him and allow him to fill us with his spirit and be controlled by, the, by God, we choose to be God's ourselves. How do we do that? First of all, uh, when we refuse to obey his word. Anytime we refuse to obey what God is saying. Anytime we refuse the leading of God's spirit, we're basically saying, I'm the king. I'm finna run this. Lord, step aside. That's a sign of what we call being a carnal Christian, that you're still in your flesh and you're not being led by the spirit of God. So what happens when you kick God off the throne of your life and sit on it yourself? Uh, just real quick, go to First Peter, and I'm gonna start. Cl- I'm gonna shut it down after this. It's the last one for tonight. Ooh, these little thin pieces of paper pages. I get back where I want to get to, and these pages start all clinging together. And no, I'm not going to that other, them, them little fancy apparatus y'all got. Um, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. When you allow your flesh to control you, when you 
And here when we talk about flesh again, we're talking about the unregenerated unregenerated man, the nature of the unregenerated man, the nature that is at war with God. When we allow that nature to rule, we literally war against our souls. And a house divided against itself won't stand. We're literally destroying ourselves because we want to rule. We want to run it. Is that what you want? There can only be one king. I think the phrase goes, either Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. You have to decide. You have to decide if he's going to be your king, if the anointed king is going to rule. Just like the Israelites had to decide whether they were ready for the anointed king David, you have to decide. Nobody can decide for you. I pray that this has been a enlightening an enlightening um, time for you. It has been for me um, because it makes me look at my life and, you know, we're, we're, there's inconsistencies everywhere. But we are on a march toward being holy, sanctified, presentable unto the master. And Jesus says, now unto him who is able to keep, oh, excuse me, uh, it's Paul that, that writes this. He says, now unto him, able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the presence of his coming with exceeding joy. If you surrender your life tonight to Jesus, he, we continue on that process of sanctification we continue on that process to be made more and more like that, like him. But it only happens. Keep surrendering. Will you surrender tonight? Will you choose Jesus as your king? It's up to you. Only you can make that choice. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you, to bless you, to praise you, for you are good and your mercy endures forever. We confess you tonight as Lord of our lives. We confess you as our king. You are the anointed king who became a curse for us. You are the anointed king who leads us out of darkness. You are the one who came to destroy the works of the devil. We repent from our decisions that we have made in the past to avoid you and to to try to run it ourselves. And we say to you tonight, we need you, we need you, we need you. Oh, come and fill our, fill our hearts in every way. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, I hope you had a wonderful time tonight. I know that I enjoyed the lesson myself. It's bad when you like your own cooking. But I just so happen to like what the Lord is serving up. And I pray that it's been a blessing to you. And that you will meet us again next week with the Word on Wednesday, 2 Samuel 
chapter 5. Have a wonderful evening. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may his face continue to smile upon you. Have a wonderful evening. Good night.